Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study as we continue our study on the life of Elijah. We are on lesson five of six. Today we get into Elijah praying for rain, but also Elijah depressed. So we're going to cover the end of chapter 18, getting into chapter 19 of 1 Kings. So whether you're just listening, if you're not, maybe grab a Bible and join us in this week's study. Without further ado, here we go. Elijah, Lesson 5. Let's take our Bibles, go to back to 1 Kings chapter number 18. And we're going to get into chapter 19, I believe, today as well. So 1 Kings 18, and then we will also get into chapter 19. But we have... We have seen, we've been with Elijah when he entered the courtroom or to the throne room and he pronounced that there would be no rain. We've went with Elijah to the brook Cherith, which I just think sounds so peaceful, I'm sure. But, uh, uh, but he went to the brook Cherith, was fed by the ravens. We went with him to, to the widow woman's house. She and her son were about to eat their last meal and we had, we, I feel like we had dinner with them. We didn't, but we watched them have dinner. We talked about that special meal and then and God just continued to bless but then we were there when her son died and 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 God used Elijah to bring him back alive but then when we got to chapter 18 it came to pass this verse is important chapter verse 1 I want to I'm going to reference this later so let's just read chapter 18 verse 1 it says and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying go show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain. So that's God saying he's going to send rain. Rain hasn't happened yet, but he has a promise from God that he is going to send rain upon the earth. That's important. And then the, the, the passage that we didn't talk about, he meets up with Obadiah. Obadiah has hidden out 7,000 prophets. Obadiah is a little bit fearful, didn't want to die. He was kind of a camouflage prophet during this time working for Ahab but but doing some of the Lord's work behind the scenes and uh, he goes to tell Ahab I found Elijah and Elijah and Ahab meet Ahab says you're the one that's troubling Israel and he says I'm not troubling you're troubling it's your your sin your life so he calls for the prophets of Baal and for these 400 450 prophets of Baal 400 prophets of the groves they have this showdown who which God will bring send fire from heaven and after all day of the prophets of Baal calling upon their gods nothing came Elijah got a little sarcastic with him a little joking around a little mocking nothing happened then after 63 words of Elijah's prayer now remember what he did first he soaked that altar didn't he He took water that was probably pretty scarce and he soaked it down he, he made sure there was no way that they could think that he was just doing something. Look at this, speaking of dogs. Looking at, speaking of dogs, I tell you what, for those listening on the podcast, I have a burr in my hand, all right? It's from my dog. But uh, now I got sidetracked, I was in the flow. I felt it there. All right, we're back, we're back focused. After 63 words this prayer, fire fell down from heaven. It says it licked up the water in everything um, that was a part of that sacrifice. And God answered Elijah's prayer. And so Elijah, this is kind of what's looked at as the climax, the, the main thing in his life he's been building towards, although there's some special scenes coming up, I believe, in his life. And so that happened. And after the end of that, Elijah said in verse 40 to them, he said, take the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. 
And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. I don't mean this in, um, and I'm probably going to get to this more next week, but I'm going to say this statement now, and I don't mean it in a mean, gross, um, disrespectful, or joking way, though I like to joke a lot. But 450 prophets, it says, and Elijah slew them there. How long does it take to kill 450 people? Physically? I mean, if you know in here, this is a joke. If you know in here, get out of this class, all right? We don't know. how. But, it's, but not only physically, emotionally, mentally, there's a lot on that. And we're going to come back to that, maybe, maybe touch a little bit on it in chapter 19. But he has watched 450 people die, maybe at his hand, maybe at the hand of someone else. But he's doing this, I believe, at the order of the Lord. He's not wrong. He's not in sin for doing this. But that's a lot of people, 450 people. And that's a lot to take in mentally and emotionally. With all that being said, after that, now we pick up where we left off. Verse 41 says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab's just been sitting there watching these prophets die. Now let me ask you a quiz question, all right? What did I say, and I don't even know how to word this without just giving away the answer, so maybe it's not a quiz question, okay? But what did I say about these prophets of Baal that was a little bit, I said I didn't realize it last week until I was reading it right before I came here on a Sunday. My dogs were jumping around. I said, I didn't realize this until I read it. Does anybody remember that little phrase? I think some of you do. But it says that they sat where? These prophets sat at Jezebel's table. These were Jezebel's prophets. They would eat with Jezebel. That's a very, to eat with someone is a very uh, personal thing. It's a very intimate thing. It's a, it means that you're, you're close. I mean, you got to go to the queen's table. You were close with them. And so these prophets of Baal would sit at the table of Jezebel to eat. And now they're all dead down in the valley of Kishon. And Ahab's just standing there. He's watched 450 people die at the hand of Elijah. He hasn't done anything. He's the king. He hasn't done a single thing. And now after the 450th prophet has died, Elijah turns to Ahab and says, you better get something to eat. You better get something to drink. It's been a long time sitting here watching these people die. He says, there's a sound of abundance of rain. It's just a weird scene in my mind as the king, the most powerful man, the most wicked man, the, the, he did more to provoke the Lord God to anger than any of all the kings before him. And he's sitting there watching this prophet kill the people that's been eating at his table, and he's done nothing. And now the prophet says to him, you better go. That just tells you how impactful this moment was when that fire came down from heaven after watching all day these other prophets that he's been sitting down and eating dinner with. They've done nothing. And now Elijah says 63 words and fire came down. I think he thought, uh-oh. And I made a big, I've made some big mistakes. And in next week, the last lesson, I'm going to show you something about Ahab that I think is interesting next week. But he's taking all of this in. And so Elijah tells him, he says, there's a sound of abundance of rain. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. He obeyed the prophet. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said unto his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. 
And he said, go up again seven times. So it means this process happens seven times. Hey, go look, go up there and look. Look like, see if there's any rain coming. He comes back. There's nothing. Go again. I referenced this a couple weeks ago, but he comes back. There's nothing. He said, this process helped happen seven times. I'll come back to verse 44. And it came to pass the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. I like that phrase. It's something I've prayed about several times. I hope that maybe you consider that. You say, well, I'm not Elijah, so I can't pray for that. Why not? Don't we need God's hand on us just to be a spouse? Don't we need God's hand on us just to be a, a, a parent? be a Christian in our modern age. Sometimes we look at that phrase and we think, well, that's because he's Elijah. He's calling down fire from heaven. I tell you what, I need God's hand on my life. And I hope that you've prayed that or considered that. So the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab. He ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Ahab got on his chariots and he rode to Jezreel, about 18 miles. You're just going to take my word for it there. You can study it out yourself. But about approximately 18 miles. Some of you may have ran 18 miles before, and you're a better person than me. 18 miles running sounds terrible. But let's, let's just put some things in perspective here. And it's because I know where I'm going to go next week, I think it's important that we kind of iron this out a little bit, a little bit of foreshadowing. What did I say at the beginning? He slew 450 guys. Think about how long that's got to take. Emotional, physical, mental stress. Now he is going to run 18 miles. And this is the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he ran 18 miles. It's not like he was preparing for this. I think Emily's ran some marathons or half marathons or something. Anybody else in here ran a marathon or half marathon? So we only have one crazy one. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm totally kidding there, Emily. I don't know her well enough to say that. I was just joking, but but I just but to run 18 miles, I'm sure Emily didn't just wake up one day and think, you know what, I'm just going to go run, run 18 miles after just doing nothing. She prepared herself, I'm sure. And so Elijah has been a prophet. He's not. He's been kind of hanging out at a brook. He's been hanging out at a widow woman's house, and now he gets up. And just takes off. So he's had the mental, physical, emotional stress of slaying 450 people. And now he's got the physical stress of running 18 miles. All that's adding up. But let's back up now. Okay, we're going to come back to that. But let's back up. Let's talk a little bit about this prayer. Because the confession of Israel, as we saw last week, I didn't go back and reference it. They had confessed that the Jehovah is God now, and then they had killed these prophets, as I mentioned. But Ahab still just seems a bit out of it. He's obeying everything that Elijah says, but he just seems a bit out of it. And but he does what he's supposed to do. He's going to Jezreel. He's, he's doing what the prophet says. And in the meanwhile, Elijah does something. After being in front of everybody, he goes up by himself. He gets all alone by himself. And, he, and he's in a very humble position. And he begins to pray to God. And a few things I wrote down about this prayer. I'm going to give them somewhat quickly and then move on. 
but I think it's important that we talk about prayer today. First of all, his prayer was based on a promise. And that's why I read chapter 18, verse 1 at the beginning of the day. When he went up to that, the top of Mount Carmel, he was praying for rain. Well, why? God already told you it's going to happen, so why pray for rain? Because it hadn't happened yet. And he knew it was time to rain. And so he just prayed for rain. That's the same thing. Sometimes people struggle with prayer. Well, why should I even pray? If God's going to do it anyways, why should I pray? Because God said to pray. There's something intimate about prayer. There's something God wants us to see and understand our cares and understand our, the, our need, our, the humility in praying. And so he didn't have rain yet. He had a promise that it would rain, but there was still no rain, so he prayed. Prayer, we could try to have a very theological talk on prayer, and people like to, um, people, I shouldn't say people like to debate, but like like theologians like to talk about the intricacies of prayer here's this about prayer this about prayer. the truth of the matter is prayer is just it's a unique thing that we have with god god is all-knowing he already knows what he's going to do he doesn't need us to pray just do it but he wants us to pray and so we pray for something that god already knows what's going to happen but it helps us because of how it makes us feel to our creator if you try to go in the weeds of all this it'll confuse you but the Bible just says pray. He wants us to pray. And it says God delights, in Proverbs it says God delights in the prayer of the righteous. God, why do you delight in the prayer? You already know what you're going to do. But it, the word delights got the idea of it moves God when people pray. It's something special to him. And so it, prayer is a very intimate thing. It is a very intimidating thing. I, I saw some, well, I won't get into all that because of the lead up to it, but somebody said, basically, the, the theme of it is this. He said, prayer is one of the most intimate things you can do in the planet. He said, to think about how intimate it is, if you don't regularly pray with your spouse, it's because we feel sometimes so awkward. He said, just, and the guy was saying, and he's not even a, I would say, strong Christian, but he said prayer is one of the most intimate things in the world. He said it's so much that we're afraid even to say to our spouse, let's pray together, or to even pray in front of our spouse sometimes because it's such an intimate thing. Prayer is important. And so he got alone and he prayed, and he prayed based on a promise. His prayer was very direct. He was praying specifically for rain. And sometimes when we pray, we're just too general. I think God wants us to be specific in our prayers. We need to get specific. And I think it's like we're giving God an out sometimes. And I do this too. It's like, God, I'm going to pray general for this because if you don't do it, I don't want you to look bad. God's not worried about looking bad. Pray specific. And, and, and when there's a need, when there's a burden, especially when there's a promise, pray specific to God. We know from James 5, 17, and I read that in the first the first. Um, lesson of this whole series i should have had it in my notes here but it says that 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 elijah was a man of like passions like we are and it says that he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it didn't rain and then it talks about how he prayed that it would rain and it did but it talks about praying earnestly and i think when we pray not only do we need to pray specific but we need to pray earnestly it needs to be something that we're burdened about when we're praying that we're coming to god with these burdens saying god is we've i've got to hear from you in this he was passionate in his request as he was praying for, the, for it to rain. He was humble in that he, he put his face between his knees. He, he was praying, expecting in faith when he said, when he came back and said, there's nothing, he said, hey, go again. It's coming. I know it's coming. He was praying 
by faith. He was expecting. It wasn't a doubt in him. He knew it was coming. And he prayed persevering seven times. And I said two weeks ago, as I was foreshadowing what we would be talking about today, I wonder if when he was on top of that mountain and he was praying, if he wasn't thinking back to that, that child that had died. Remember, he laid himself on that child and prayed and nothing happened. Then he laid himself on that child again and nothing happened. A lot of us give up after a couple times. Remember, he laid himself down again the third time and the child came back alive. I wonder, this time it was took seven times, six times of nothing and the seventh time something happened. But he had been learning in the school of Cherith and the school of this widow woman. He's been learning. God's been training him. Just keep praying, keep praying. And there's lessons in that. In the New Testament, if I wanted to make this lesson go really long, I could take you over to Luke chapter 11, I believe. And you remember the lessons that Jesus taught? He said that men, he, he, gave, he taught about prayer. He gave, gave the model prayer at the beginning. But then he taught, gave those illustrations about the persevering. Remember the guy that had a neighbor, it says, and he came at midnight and started knocking on the neighbor's door at midnight. And he says, hey, I got some people that are passing through and I really need some. I don't have any food for them. I really need to. And at midnight, guy's like, hey, leave me alone. My kids are asleep. I'm in bed. It's midnight. And he just kept knocking and kept knocking and kept knocking. What is that whole parable about? It's all about perseverance and prayer. It's the same thing right here in the Old Testament. That, that parable is Jesus in the New Testament teaching a principle that Elijah learned thousands of years before that we need to persevere in our prayer. Don't give up. Just because we haven't seen the answer yet doesn't mean God has said no. It just means that he hasn't answered yet. He may be working in us just like he worked in Elijah. Because think about this. Let's just think about it as two casual people just sitting here talking. Why didn't God just do it on the first time? If we're just thinking logically, which I tend to try to always say, I try to, sometimes I pride myself, like, well, I just want to look at this reasonable and logically. Well, you can't always do that when it comes to faith. And it drives me insane sometimes. Because I like to just look, what's the logical thing? If, I, if we just took the logical thing, hey God, just do it on the first time. He go, he's already done everything you asked him to do. Now he's on top. He prays for rain. You've already promised it's going to rain. Just do it the first time. That's logical. I like to try to think logically. God likes to think character building, faith building. And so even though God knew he was going to do it, he didn't do it the first time or the second time. Or the third time. Now I'm like, okay, God, you did it. You waited three times last time. And still not technically logically, but let's just do it the third time. Don't put this guy through the ringer here. And the servant's running back and forth. And you imagine the sweat on that servant's head as he's like, hey, my boss, uh, there's still nothing. He's like, go again. He's like, what are you doing? But God made him wait six times. And finally on the seventh time. And then I think back in my life at how many times I pray. And then it doesn't, and I'm like, ah. Let's move on. There's a difference between Elijah's faith and Brad's faith, I think, many times when it comes to prayer. We need to keep praying. And you say, how do we know? Boy, this is a debated statement, so I shouldn't go down the road. It's not debated with you guys, but it's debated among people that like to think through this. But you're like, how do I know when to stop praying for something? Big question. And the answer, again, is not logical. Okay? It's just, the answer is this. You have a relationship with God. There's a connection that you have with God that I can't interpret because it's your inner being. And there's something that we, that we can't 
defined. I can't see it even in my wife. I know her better than anybody in this room, but I can't see that that's going on in the inner man between her and God. But there's something that's called peace, the peace of God. It's very subjective. I like objective things. The Bible says this, do this. But there is this subjective part of our relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. And there are times when God says, stop. And you stop. And you know, I'm no longer supposed to be praying about this. Can you logically give 15 reasons when that is? No. It's just stop. I remember when Eliana, my second oldest daughter, was to be born. Uh, the doctor said she, uh, the doctor said that she won't survive. That she's uh, early on, you know, in the first six weeks, it's going to be a, a miscarriage. That something's not working. And and, and again, I don't like to talk about this because it's subjective. But I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. And so I prayed much into the night, and I prayed. And I prayed, and I prayed. He said, I'll get, call us tomorrow at 4 o'clock, and I'll let you know. But the guy was very um, brass about it, too. I don't know if brass is the right word, but he was just like, yeah, you're going to have a miscarriage. It's going to, you know, it's not going to have him. Sorry. But he just didn't seem to care. This is after my son had already died, so it was emotional for me. But I didn't believe it. I just didn't. So I prayed most of the night, prayed most of the night, prayed most of the night. And then the next day, I hadn't heard anything, and he hadn't called and I just felt a peace. I just like, everything's going to be all right. We said, again, you don't have to take my word for it. It's just a feeling. I don't know how to explain it. I just felt that there's peace. And called the doctor at 4 o'clock, got the nurse. And, she, and she's like, mm, I got the numbers here. Well, let me check with the doctor. And the doctor came and he's like, I don't get it. He said, the numbers, we got the numbers back. It's totally different than what it was. Everything seems fine. So I guess everything's fine. And... Eliana is full of energy right now, and she's given us 14 years of life now. Everything's fine. Eliana means God has answered. That's why I named her that. But I just remember in that moment a feeling of peace. Everything's going to be okay. Now, is that logical? No. Could you be sitting there going, I don't know if I believe that. You could. I probably would be if I was in your seat. But I can't. You, that's the thing about prayer. It's an inter, you can't explain some of it because there's an internal connection with God our creator, that, that you, just, you just sense when God is saying, keep praying even though for six times your servant's about dead and he's running back and forth and he don't get it, but keep praying. There's other times when it's like God says, no. I, I mean, I prayed for an hour for my son who died and I just nothing came back. I didn't sense it, just nothing happened. But I would tell you this, during the funeral, I felt a peace that God said, everything's going to be okay. There's a peace. There's a really, so what I'm saying is, what I'm trying to get across to you today is there's, a, there's an intimate part of prayer between you and God. I don't want you to leave here trying to look for the, the weird mysticals. I'm not saying all that. I'm just saying just talk to God. And you're going to just sense a peace. Or you'll sense keep praying. But you have to get to know God in a good way, in a close way, to, to sense those. And it's not always like that for me. But I've found... That trials sometimes, difficulties, bring us back to our Creator in a way that we need to be. And so he, he, his prayer was, it was humble, it was based on a promise, it was direct, it was earnest, it was, it was humble, it was expecting, it was persevering. And then 
God answered. He says the clouds were black. There was just a little cloud at first, but then says there was black and clouds of wind, and there was great rain, and Ahab rode, and he went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he got he girded his loins, and he ran ahead and passed the chariot, and he got ahead to Jezreel before he got there. Now, what time is it? I want to get a little bit into chapter 19, all right? I don't have my notes for chapter 19 up yet. Let me just go ahead and get over there real quick. And let's get into a few. Let's look at a few things in chapter nineteen because now we've we've he's rode ahead of him. It says in verse chapter nineteen, verse one, and Ahab told Jezebel. Uh oh. Now we're going to bring in Jezebel. She wasn't there. I don't know why she wasn't there, but she wasn't there. Here's the people who've been sitting at her table, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as one of them, the prophets of Baal, by tomorrow about this time. She said, by tomorrow at this time, you're going to be dead just like they are. And if not, then let them take me. She probably shouldn't have said that, because she's going to die in a, in a couple chapters here. But, but she is threatening Elijah. She is telling Elijah, I am going to, you're going to die tomorrow. I'm sick and tired of what you've just done to my prophets of Baal. You're going to die tomorrow. And you would think Elijah, he has just prayed at the top of Mount Carmel and, and, and rain came. And you would think, and he just prayed 63 words and fire fell from heaven. By the way, on the first time, God didn't make him wait seven times there. He just thought of that on the spot. Like, God, you know, three times and one time and then six times. Oh, this is tough for you just got to pray. But now, Elijah, you think he's going to pray and say, all right, I'm coming right back at Jezebel, but here's what he does. And when he saw that, boy, I'm going to come back to that phrase. When he, Elijah, saw that, what, did, what was that? It was the threat. When he saw the threat, when he saw the potential end of his life, when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. So now he's trying to protect himself. Remember, God protected him before. He's trying to protect himself. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he left his servant there, this guy that's been by his side. He just left him there. So now he's all alone. He's alone. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. For I am now better, for am I not better than my fathers? For I am not better than my fathers. And he lay and slept under the juniper tree, and then the angel's going to come, and we'll get into that maybe a little bit more next week. So let's take a look at this for a second. This is, I mean, we just got here. I mean, we were just running 18 miles, we got ahead, the hand of the Lord's upon him, everything's going good, and now he's by a tree, and he says, Just let me die. He's depressed. He's frustrated. Now, I said everything I said back earlier for a reason, and let's go back to this. He's killed 450 prophets, physically drained. He also ran 18 miles, physically drained, mentally drained from all of that's been going on for the last day or so. Emotionally drained. You try to kill 450 people, don't try it. But you try it, it's gonna, it's, emotionally, it's going gonna, it's gonna to weigh on you. Mentally, physically, emotionally, everything's weighing on him. And he's now by a tree saying, I wish I would just dead. 
And it says it came to pass after he saw that. Remember? So what has happened is he's got all of the physical and emotional and mental stuff going on. And then he's looking at the wrong things. You know when I get the most depressed is when I'm looking at the wrong things. It says when he saw that. You know what he was focused on? He was focused on the, the, the threat and not focused on God. When he was up on Mount Carmel and he was praying and fire fell and he was praying and rain came, you know what he was looking to? He was looking to God. But now he's looking at that, the threat. It's just a little switch, just like that. If Satan can just get our attention off of God a little bit, we can find ourselves by a juniper tree. And it's just turned his focus just a little bit. And, and he was already in a great, he was already vulnerable because of the mental and emotional and physical that he was under. And all Satan had to do, and we don't know behind the scenes, so I'm adding this into it, but I'm sure Satan was there. All he had to do behind the scenes is get his focus a little bit. Wow, did you hear that threat? She's the most powerful woman in the world. You're going to die. And all it took was something like that. And now he's by a juniper tree requesting to die because he saw the wrong things and then he sought the wrong things he went for his life and he requested that he might die instead of seeking god instead of trusting god who's already protected him he's starting to try to protect himself he's requesting to die instead of requesting god's help and god's grace like he has before and so now he's saying the wrong things he says i'm not better than my father's well who told you that you were better than your father's in the first place remember he was humble before and now he's saying, I'm not even better than my father's. Well, who cares if you're better? That doesn't matter. Everything changed just like that. And I'm not, I'll tell you what, I've taught this in the past, and I've come across, maybe, I mean, in my mind, a little bit hard on Elijah. And today I feel a little bit more sympathetic to him. Not that he was right. I'm not justifying anything that he's done. But I think I see a lot of myself and maybe some of my peers and, my, and maybe some of you in Elijah. Because... We're so busy nowadays. Man, we're doing all kinds of things and something's going on. And then one trial comes our way and we're just depressed and we're out and we're frustrated and we want to give up and we don't, God's not really real and God doesn't really care. Whoa. When God answered the prayer a month ago, we were on top of the world. How did things change so fast? Well, we get tired. We get overwhelmed emotionally. We get overwhelmed mentally. And then satan is attacking we've got our flesh we've got the spiritual warfare we got all this going on and next thing you know we may not be by a juniper tree we may not be suicidal but we're depressed saying god god doesn't care and all of a sudden our language changes our faith is weak and we can get there now a good teacher would plan this which i had this plan but would plan better than this and they would give you the answer that god's going to give but i'm going to make you come back next week okay and I'm going to tell you, I want, I want us to start next week. I'm trying to figure out how to finish all this, but I want to start next week with what God tells him in this moment. Because he is just in a different place. This is not chapter 18, Elijah. He's, this is a different Elijah. But I love how God handles him and what God's going to tell him to do. And then we're going to, we're going to see what, what Elijah does in response to that. And then, just because Ahab and Jezebel have been the key figures, I think we're going to get over and see how they died. And Elijah called it. He basically was there telling them, you're going to die. And we're going to get to that a little bit next week as well. So let's, let's pause it for, for a week. And we'll come back next week and finish all of this up. Let's pray.